the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation. Call 877-GAINS-4-U or MortageFinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome indeed. Thanks so much for joining us. We are ready and underway on a very, very packed and busy Friday. The very first morning of a month that is non-divisive. How about that? The first morning of the third month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Really appreciate you being with us. Uh, we are packed today, as I as I mentioned. We've got guests from all the wall. Coming up in a half an hour, we are going to talk with Travis Mills. It has been a minute or two since we first talked to Travis on this program. Travis Mills, a uh, veteran uh, and one of only a handful, I think five Five soldiers of the hundreds of thousands who went to Afghanistan and or Iraq to suffer quadruple amputation. Quadruple. Both arms, both legs. Um, he's a, to survive it, he's a, he's a hero beyond uh, compare. It's just extraordinary. Uh, but Travis is also doing everything he can, not for himself, but for other uh, veterans, and uh, that's what the Travis Mills Foundation is all about. It's a huge, huge venture uh, that is supported and undertaken by some of our friends, including Dave Mortash at uh, Mortash Financial. So I'm so glad to have his support in this. But Travis and I are going to talk about the latest, what's coming up in 2024 with the foundation, and just, just to uh, tell his story once again for those who have not heard it. So Travis Mills will be joining us at 9.35. At 10.10, we're going to talk with J.R. Harrison. You don't know who that is. You probably shouldn't yet, but I want you to uh, sooner rather than later because what he is pushing forward with is going to come very, very uh, soon. It's going to be very important in the month of groom. We all know what June has become. The month of June has become, become the month of groom. It is Pride Month which is really kind of ridiculous in its own right because it's pretty much year-round, 
what they push the the you know on schools and in uh, in public spaces and so forth. But then they have parades and celebrations and all kinds of other things intended to sexualize and groom children. Anyway, in response, <coughs> excuse me, in response to Pride Month, uh, J.R. Harrison's organization is pushing for Natural Family Month. Natural Family Month. By natural family, what does that mean? It means a mom and a dad who make a union who then produce children and then raise them together in their own home. How about that? What a shocking idea that is. The Natural Family uh, is uh, part of an organization called Natural Family Strong, and they're pushing Natural Family Month to be coming up. It's actually going to kind of work in between Mother's Day in May and Father's Day in June. So it kind of sort of encompasses a part of Pride Month, and uh, that's, that's just an outstanding that's just an outstanding development. Uh, at 10.35, we're going to talk to Ken Polk. Ken Polk, we've talked to before. He's a former NFL football player. He's a successful dentist, and now he wants to be a congressman. He's challenging Dave Joyce. We're going to bring Ken Polk on to talk about that race. And then in studio, coming up at 11 o'clock, we are going to have the current Cuyahoga County prosecutor, Mike O'Malley, in our studio, along with former Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association President Steve Loomis, as we talk about the very important primary on March 19th for uh, Cuyahoga County Prosecutor. Um, Prosecutor O'Malley is being challenged by a radical, there's no other way to describe him, a radical Soros disciple leftist who does not believe in prisons, does not believe in jails or incarceration, does not believe in police, believes in essentially turning everybody loose and thinking everybody will kumbaya one another. Um, it's dangerous. It's unbelievable, except that it's very believable because we have seen these types of prosecutors in cities, uh, big blue cities all over the country. We cannot allow that to be the case in Cuyahoga County. Simply cannot. So we're going to talk about that race with Michael Malley and Steve Loomis and what you can do perhaps to help that. So there you go. Did I mention we were full today? Travis Mills, J.R. Harrison, Ken Polk, and then in studio, uh, Michael Malley and Steve Loomis will be here. So we're looking forward to conversations with all of the above. All right. Uh, before we get started with the news of the day, what do you say we go ahead and do our Pledge of Allegiance? Patriots, go ahead and stand. Face your flag if you can, please, if you have one. Uh, if you don't, let's work on getting one. If um, you are a believer in open borders, if you're a believer in rampant crime, if you're a believer in uh, not uh, no law and order, if you are a believer in virtually anything that we continue to see and hear from the radical American left, then don't stand and pledge your allegiance to a flag you don't believe in. Instead, take a knee and disrespect it like you really want to. We know who you are. For those of us who believe, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. We have, uh, like I said, a lot of news that we need to get through today. And we're going to start because most of it is going to have to come in this first half hour since we do have uh, all of those tremendous guests to talk to. Yesterday, the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, who was responsible for the worst border security in the history of the United States of America. Let me say that again. The history of the United States of America. The last three years have seen roughly 10 million illegal aliens cross the border. Joe Biden has been asked time and time 
And time and time and time again, over three years, Kamala Harris, the border czar, has been asked time and time and time and time again. Kamala Harris, I mean, uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary who speaks for the president, who is the literal spokesperson for the president, has been asked over and over and over again. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Director, has been asked over and over and over again, what are you going to do about the border? And all of their answers have been consistent, and that is, what are you talking about? The border's secure. That's what they've said for three now and almost a half years. Yesterday, Joe Biden made his first visit to the border and said, Folks, it's real simple. It's time to act. It's long past time to act. I just received a briefing from the Border Patrol at the border. He has never received a briefing from the Border Patrol at the border in his life. Do you know that he's never been there? They didn't go down there when he was a senator. They didn't go down there with his vice president. He hasn't gone down there as the president. And now he's saying it's, it's time to act. Actually, it's, it's long past time to act. Where were you during that past time when this, when this thing got out of control? Better yet, where were you on January 21st of 2021? The day after you were inaugurated, you sat down and with a pen, you undid every Trump order that brought security to the border and thus the country. Every single one of them. You did it. You could have stopped this from the beginning for you to stand there in front of Border Patrol agents now in Brownsville, which is, by the way, one of the least troublesome sectors along the entire border. You went there to see a sanitized area so that it didn't look as bad as it should look, and it really is for you while you're on scene. You went to Brownsville for a reason, which is why Brandon Judd, the... uh, uh, um, Leader of the um, uh, Border Patrol, Customs and Border Patrol, CBP uh, pr- uh, President uh, Brandon Judd. I'm sorry, he's the Border Patrol Union President. I'm sorry for the uh, title there. But that's why when he went down to the border, or where he always is, he was in Eagle Pass, in the belly of the beast. He was there with Donald Trump, not with Joe Biden. Why? Because Joe Biden, the president, the current commander-in-chief, went to a place where there isn't a problem. Donald Trump went to the epicenter of it all. He went to the to the middle of the the heart of the problem, which is in Eagle Pass, Texas, and that's where Brandon Judd said, "President, thank you, thank you, uh, sir. I, I want you to know, your agents, my agents, they're mad as hell, absolutely mad. The President Biden went to Brownsville, Texas, rather than going to Arizona, rather than going to San Diego, California, rather than coming to Eagle Pass, Texas, which has been the epicenter. What President Trump has seen." Right Right here is he's seen how his policies have worked, but he's also seen how he can expand upon those policies once he takes goes back into the White House. He has president. Thank you. So so Brandon Judd literally from the uh, border visit by President Trump, who does know what it's like down there and who does know where to go to see what really is happening. Brandon Judd calling out Joe Biden, who's in the non uh, emergency portion of the border, which is in Brownsville so that he could stand there and virtue signal. Literally gaslighting us into thinking he cares about the border. He has not been there in three-plus years of his presidency. He has not been there, and yet he stands there. As well as immigration and enforcement, asylum officers, and they're all doing incredible work under really tough conditions. Really tough conditions. They told me what what, what you already know and we already know. They desperately need more resources. Say it again, they desperately need more resources. Say it as many times as you want, you walking, talking skeleton. It is not true. It is not about resources. It is about policy. 
Border Patrol agents want to be allowed to patrol the border, to literally protect and serve the people of the United States. That's what they say. That's what Brandon Judd was talking about. They don't want more resources to hire more of them to just facilitate a a faster entry into the United States with faster asylum hearings, with more judges, so that you can just continue to bombard this country with tens of millions of new Democrat voters. They don't want that. What are you kidding? They need more agents, more officers, more judges, more equipment. They need none of those things. They need none of those things, Weekend at Bernie's. All they need is a policy change so they can do their job. They want to catch people and then turn them around. They don't want to catch people and Walmart greet them, welcome in. There you go. Here's your cart. Go fill it up with free stuff paid for by the American citizens. Go fill it up with free stuff paid for by the American taxpayers. They don't want to do that. In order to secure our border. Folks, it's time for us to move on this. We can't wait any longer. Time for us to move on this. It can't wait any longer. He could have done something about this three years ago. In fact, he did do something. He did the opposite of what should have been done. Rather than continuing the Trump policies, which brought security to the border, not perfection, but security, the best we have seen in over 40 years, you undid it all and unleashed a flood of illegal immigrants into this country, a flood of them. Now compare the gaslighting that Joe Biden did on the border last night or yesterday uh, with what Joe, uh, Donald Trump said in Eagle Pass, in the belly of the beast. Uh, the uh, reports have come out, and we've been covering them, and everybody's been. And I spoke to the parents of an incredible young lady, and you, you saw her the other day. You saw what happened the other day in Georgia. And the parents are devastated. They're incredible people. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. I call him Crooked Joe because he's crooked. He's a terrible president, the worst president our country's ever had, and probably the most incompetent president we've ever had. But it's uh, allowing thousands and thousands of people to come in from China, Iran, Yemen, the Congo, Syria. That part is very important. Everybody, you know, continues to think those who are not in the political and news cycle and sphere that I'm in and people who listen to the show on a regular basis are in, they, they may they probably still think of illegal immigrants as being just, you know, poor migrant uh, field workers. You know, they're just migrant farmers who want to come in and make some extra money more than they can make in their home country where they're really poor and they mean no harm. No, 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 no. That is not the majority anymore. President Trump just nailed it. China, Iran, Yemen, Congo, Syria, a lot of nations that are... And a lot of other nations, many nations are not very friendly to us. He's transported the entire columns of uh, fighting-aged men, and they're all at a certain age, and you look at them and say, they, they look like warriors to me. Something's going on. It's bad. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of... Uh, vicious violation to our country. I'm going to say something here that will not be popular, but I'm going to, I mean, and Seth, tell me, did you hear it? President Trump's slurring of his words in his, um, in his uh, remarks there, the, the words are well chosen. The delivery is solid. His point is absolutely spot on. But do you notice the slurring? That sound, the sound that kind of comes with oftentimes when you listen to people at advanced ages, this is not going to help 
in the election fight against Biden, the argument that Biden is too old and cannot do the job because President Trump does not sound like the President Trump that we saw, we heard from as recently, honestly, as a year ago. Listen to this again and just, I mean, and, and, and tell me if it's um, as pronounced in your, and maybe it's because I'm wearing headphones too, it's blasting in my ears. Maybe it isn't in yours over the radio, but let's see. They look like warriors to me. Something's going on that's bad. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country. Do you hear it? The vicious violation. It, he sounds like everybody's grandpa you've ever met. I hear it a little bit, but you're also talking about a guy that you know is in a tent somewhere in the middle of a you know desert kind of situation in Texas, and maybe tired. I mean, there could be a lot of contributing factors. No, Biden he, sounds like that all the time. You're right, he does, and that's what makes this troublesome because so does he. And by the way, the same people speaking in the same conditions in the same desert in the same area uh, who aren't 78. Don't sound like that. I agree. I mean, it's just one of those things where the age, this is why 73%, I think, is in that survey of Americans say they don't want a rematch between Biden and Trump in part because they're two octogenarians. By the, you know, in their, if they do, whoever wins is going to, Biden's already 81 and Trump will be 82 uh, or three when he finishes the term. Um, this is what a lot of people say. Uh, it, it, it didn't sound good and the, the media has noticed it and they're talking about it. Uh, but it, it's just something that has to be, it has to be pointed out. Um, you know, his age is a factor and I hope it becomes not a big factor because Joe Biden, of course, is and it, and I, I want to play the audio, but I don't know if I will of Biden bragging about in the White House, bragging about the cognitive test, or not the cognitive test, but the physical that Joe Biden just underwent. And he has been declared fully healthy and where and ready to go. The, the doctor said his gait is a little stiff, but it was like that last year, and it hasn't gotten any worse. Are you kidding me? He shuffles. He doesn't walk anymore. He shuffles because he's afraid of tripping and slipping and falling. And the gait, by the way, uh, other doctors have pointed out when it comes to Joe Biden's uh, mental fitness there is a connection between brain activity and, and uh, physical gait, uh, the way you walk. There is a connection, and it is very clear that he is declining very, very quickly. My point being, President Trump needs to, in my opinion, when he gives important and impressive remarks like he did yesterday, let's over-enunciate. Let's get everything clear. Let's sound strong and vibrant and not sound, uh, like I said, is, you know what he is, which is you know, of a very, very advanced age. Uh, let's, let's, let's try to do that. Let's go back to the Biden pres- presentation there at the border. Biden went down there with the now impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who has overseen this catastrophe at our southern border. And Mayorkas stands there in Brownsville, Texas, attacking the governor of Texas, who is trying to actually secure his state and thus the United States. Unlike... Texas Governor Abbott's efforts to undermine federal border enforcement, the leaders in Brownsville serve as a model of cooperation in addressing together the challenges that irregular migration present. This man stood there like his his buddy uh, um, Weekend at Bernie's Joe literally sat there and said that it's Abbott who is undermining border security. The guy that is putting... Um, shipping containers on top of one another in the most you know heavily trafficked areas to serve as a makeshift wall is undermining security. 
the guy who is putting buoys with razor wire on them across the uh, Rio Grande River, river to stop them from, from uh, you know, traversing the river and coming into the United States, that's the guy undermining security? The guy that you, Alejandro Mayorkas, and your Department of Justice, Joe Biden's Department of Justice, went to the Supreme Court to stop from putting razor wire along the border, that guy is the one that's undermining uh, border security? How can, I mean, these people, it's, it's one thing to gaslight. It's another thing to just say we have no respect whatsoever for the collective IQ of the American people. We can tell them anything and we think they'll believe it. And you know what the truth is? Sadly, because of the media being in their pocket, they're not far off. Most Americans, not most. Many Americans who don't do what we do on this program as listeners and active listeners uh, and, and seekers of truth, they will hear him say, Abbott is the one who under, uh, is undermining security. They'll believe it. They'll hear Joe Biden say, it's time to get this under control. It's long past time unless they see President Biden is trying to do something. There is a segment of the population and maybe a significantly sized segment of the population that can be taken in by this sort of uh, dishonesty, deception, duplicity, gaslighting about what is really happening. Um, and, this, and, and, and that's a sad thing. Let me give you a little bit more from Alejandro Mayorkas telling us that, by the way, there's nothing that Joe Biden can actually do about this. Executive actions that the president can take to reduce the number, the large number of migrants that uh, are coming to the U.S.-Mexico border that we saw in 2023 and continue this year. Fact of the matter is that the only enduring solution is legislation. Congress needs to act. We have a bipartisan piece of legislation. You have a bipartisan piece of trash that three senators worked on intensely for a number of months i was very privileged to be at the table to provide technical and operational expertise the administration was represented at the table we technical what did he say technical uh and operational expertise the man in charge of national security the homeland security who says he was put on that committee because of his technical and operational expertise. If you have expertise in the operation of border security and nearly 10 million people have come across it, what the hell does that say about the rest of the administration? If you're the expert, if you have expertise, Lord help us trying to figure out what, what the rest of the, uh, the administration can do in Homeland Security. And by the way, a more, another, another just blatant lie. There's nothing the president can do, he said. There's no executive order, no executive action Biden can take to fix the border crisis. It has to be legislation. It has to be hundreds of billions of dollars, and it has to be involve amnesty for tens of millions of illegals, <laughs> a pathway to citizenship, and a minimum of 1.825 million illegals allowed to cross a year. Minimum. That's what he thinks the solution is. All right, uh, so much to do today, uh, so much more information I would like to get to, but we do have a lot of great guests who are coming up today, including uh, a national hero, in my estimation, Travis Mills. Uh, Travis Mills, for whom the Travis Mills Foundation is named, is going to be joining Your first fill-up, that's promo code GIFT. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 
All right, it is indeed, and uh, good Friday morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We'll come back to the uh, dueling border uh, press conferences yesterday. One of them was sincere. The other one was a photo op in an election year, and that's just the reality of the situation. But we'll come back to that. Right now, though, I want to say good morning to uh, an American hero. He is uh, a retired United States Army Staff Sergeant. Uh, he was with the 82nd Airborne. He is. Uh, he calls himself a recalibrated warrior. That's his term. He made that up, and it's pretty damn good, actually. Motivational speaker, actor, and an author and an advocate for veterans and amputees. He runs the Travis Mills Foundation, and that's probably because he is Travis Mills, who joins us now at AM 1420, The Answer. Travis, so good to hear from you again, my friend. How are you? Hey, doing well, you champion. How's your day looking? Outstanding, actually. Very nice day. It's going to warm up into the 50s after a crazy, weird snow spell yesterday morning, but uh, we're doing great. How are, th- are, you, are you in Maine right now? You know, I am in Maine, yeah, uh-huh. and, and the, the snow's still a little bit here, but it's uh, it's dissipating pretty quick. Um, it's kind of going away uh, earlier than I thought it was going to go this year, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, in your introduction there, I'll be honest with you, when you said I made up the term myself, is that weird that I make up my own... <laughs> my own title <laughs> no not in your case it isn't now if somebody says you know i want to call myself a genius or i'm going to call myself you know if you make up a slick nickname for yourself just because you have an ego that's one thing you literally are recalibrated and you have to be re- recalibrated on a semi-regular basis i would imagine with all of the bits and pieces of your body that are that are artificial right well i mean yeah yeah i guess i guess <laughs> yeah i just want to make sure i didn't come off as conceited because you know i will tell you i, I uh, my buddy and i we, we bought a marina about eight years ago and he put himself as the president of the company because he was filling paperwork out. And I was kind of I was a little bit upset about it. I said, hey, what do you mean you're the president? So I'm the president of my foundation, my speaking company. Like, I'm the president. He goes, well, I filled it out. I said, okay. He goes, you can be the CEO. I said, I'm not, I don't want to be the CEO. <laughs> and I said, put me as the KER. He goes, what? I said, yeah, put me in the KER. He goes, what is that? I said, what's the king, emperor, ruler? <laughs> so, at, you know, because I, I didn't know what else to put. So at my marina, I'm actually the cur. So that might be just a little bit more, you know, uh, I don't know, egotistical, if you want to say that. But calling well, yourself the was, recalibrated yeah. guy is perfectly acceptable. And by the way, I love the idea. I love you know, Listen, yeah. Listen, Travis, if, if people can call themselves weird made-up names uh, as pronouns anymore, even if they literally don't exist, they're making up words as they go, you sure as hell can call yourself king. What was it, king and emperor ruler? Yeah, king emperor, sure, K-E-R. Yeah. There you go. Well, you, you can call yourself that. whatever Thanks you want. Heck yeah. yeah. Thanks for the permission. But anyways, I'm sorry. I got off track. I apologize. I do that sometimes. Like this one time I was on a path in Afghanistan. I veered to the right. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, that does tend, tend to uh, ruin your day, doesn't it? You go off the wrong path. Before we talk more about that and remind everybody who has not heard from you or of you or about your story uh, and, and uh, being, being one of a very select few quadruple amputees to survive coming out of Afghanistan or Iraq, just, just hit that recalibrated veteran thing. When did you come up with that, and, uh, and, and, and how did that come about? Well, actually, my buddy uh, Reese and I were talking, and I, I got tired of being called wounded. You know, I understand, like, um, I was wounded. Like, I get that. But I just feel like there's, like, such negative connotations. Like, oh, you're one of those wounded guys. And I'm like, you know, uh, I, I I was. I definitely was wounded for sure. But I've healed up. I got scars, you know. And I um, I didn't like the, the negative connotations of wounded. So my buddy's like, well, you know, you're, you're basically you're recalibrated, right? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, recalibrated works. Uh, I had to, re, you know, refine my new normal and recalibrate myself to go on with life after losing, you know, both portions of both arms and both legs. So we just kind of came up with it because 
you know, I'll be honest, some guy walked by me and he's like, Hey warrior. And I, I was like, don't call me that. <laughs> like, and he's like, well, you're one of the wounded guys. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that either. So I guess I just want to change the narrative. Right. Um, I don't need to be the wounded guy anymore. I'm recalibrated. I'm just the guy that lost his arms and legs, but it's sealed up. So, you know, a lot of people just call me Travis. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know what? For those who don't know your name, um, it, it, it t- tell me why warrior bothers you. Because you are a warrior. You were a warrior that day when you got blown up, ah, and you're you're a warrior. A you're a warrior because of the way you live your life right now and the work you do, Travis. Seriously, for other people, other soldiers, uh, others who have who have lost limbs, their families, and all of the things you do, you actually fight a war every day on behalf of your 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 your, your brothers in arms, man. I I, I think warrior is pretty good. Yeah, it's the context. It was a it was a sergeant, E five sergeant, walking past me, and I was an E six staff sergeant, and I was okay. in my wheelchair, and uh, you know, just the guy didn't have the same maybe uh, time in service or like the same uh, experiences I had, if you will. So with his uniform, it didn't kind of match up to mine. And when he's like, "Hey, warrior," and looked down on me, kind of, not looked down. I mean, I just didn't like it. I get I it. Was, I get it. I it get was it. an ego thing. I'm sure it was an ego thing. Yeah, that's but a- it was more like. Mm, yeah. yeah, that that that's so, context I didn't have. I, I I thought you meant like you didn't like being called a warrior, like you know, is it no, like no, you're being that. humble, you yeah. know? But uh, because you are if, humble, if I get put on the same shelf as Zena. I'm good, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, <laughs> the warrior, warrior princess, princess. Yeah. She, crushed, she crushes it. Everybody knows that. But uh, no, I just that that was that, that story probably shouldn't have came out. It was just a different context, the way. It no, was I I understand that, man. But um, but no, I'm fortunate to make through my injuries. You know, at the end of the day. Um, I laid in hospital bed questioning why I lived four days after my injury with no arms, no legs, thinking like, what do I have left to give and what do I have left to, you know, even do in the world? And then, um, my wife, I told her she should leave me. She didn't. Uh, my daughter was six months old. I learned how to walk with my daughter. And, you know, you fast forward now, not that I know there's a lot of meat in the bones still in the story, but like 12 years this April, uh, I have a foundation that's, uh, doing very well because we have great donors and great people that support us like yourself. Um, and especially in the Cleveland area, you know, in North, uh, uh Northeast Ohio, Northeast Ohio, right? I'm saying that right. Yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely. Saying, yeah. But Ohio is being a Michigan guy. Ohio is very nice, which I appreciate. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, we have Dave Mortosh who raises so much awareness for us with the Mortosh, you know, match the million dollar match. And he's raised over 2 million or donated over $2 million himself. And he's raised more than that you know, for the foundation. So it's just because people believe in us. Um, I found my, my purpose and my direction, um, you know, and, and, and I've come a long way, you know, because of having people support me. And I can remember quite vividly sitting there thinking, what do I have left to give and why did they even save me? And this is miserable. Like I'm not going to have anything except, you know, being a burden left in life. I'm going to have to ask everybody for everything. And, um, you know, that's where I was sitting 12 years ago, basically. And now I'm, I'm fortunate to be at a foundation that people believe in and they get behind and we serve these families and we have a post-traumatic stress program for first responders and combat veterans. That's going really well called warrior path. And, um, you know, I have some other businesses and things I'm, I've been fortunate to, uh, to partner in. Travis, um, I'm so glad you brought up the foundation. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. What's coming up this, uh, uh, you know, this year in 2024 for the foundation fundraisers. We're going to talk about miles for mills Memorial day weekend that's happening, uh, as well. So, but, but, I want to go back to what you just talked about, um, and you questioned your worth. You questioned why you were allowed to survive. And then you talked about learning to walk with your daughter. And so I'm thinking to myself, I wonder which was which was the bigger challenge, the mental and psychological of being 
here and finding trying to figure out how and why you survived while you know obviously so many others did not um or the physical and having prosthetics you know custom made for you custom made legs for you and 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 an arm and a portion of the other arm what was harder for you the mental and psychological or the physical recovery trav oh mental way worse way worse um physical i could do right i've been through sports teams my whole life uh, i was working out I uh, went through basic training, went through rigorous training in the 82nd Airborne Division, um, you know, sleepless nights, long days, no showers, no, you know, all that stuff. But that was no problem. Physical was no problem. If you can show me I can do it and there's a will, there's a way type deal, I'm in. But mentally, it was a rough part. Like, what do I have left to give? You know, um, how can I do this? How can I do that? And then the unknown is the worst because I would sit there in my hospital bed with my daughter thinking, how am I going to teach her how to play soccer? How am I going to teach her? And, like, things that she's not even close to doing. And that's where you, you gotta you gotta reel it back in, and you gotta just focus on the now, and the in the present, and then you know look to the future and figure out you know what makes sense to think about and what doesn't. Because worrying about stuff you can't control, especially in that in that time frame, um, did nothing for me. And uh, you know my daughter now she's twelve. My son is six. Um, you know he plays baseball. He's going to do uh, soccer this year, I believe, and. Uh, basketball, and then and eventually play football uh, is my, my hope for him and hockey, but we'll see. And then my daughter's like a standout soccer player. She does basketball and lacrosse as well. Wow. And, and so I get it, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and wanting to be there and to be as much of a part of that and to help train and work with them and so on and so forth, is, uh, I can see where, the, you know, the, the psychological aspect of this uh, has got to be tough for you. What, what about, Trav, now it's been 12 years, as you pointed out, um, what about from the, the PTSD side of things? Do you still relive the moment? Do you still relive the the, the moments after uh, when you when you had consciousness, but you realized you had been essentially blown up? No, I mean that's the thing. So here's the weird part: I don't have anything uh, on my charts or my medical record. <laughs> sorry, of post traumatic stress, I have no issues with what happened overseas. And I've always thought for a long time, like oh, I'm just so much mentally, uh, so more, you know, they're so mentally tough that it didn't affect me. Um, but maybe it's because I had a ketamine coma and I use ketamine a lot for treating post-traumatic stress. I had a ketamine coma, right? Like week three of my injury where it reset my brain to think my nerves end is where they end. And then there's a lot of treatments with ketamine. I didn't realize were going on, you know, after the fact of me being injured because of the case study they did on me. But, you know, uh, quite frankly, I've, I've shot people. I've killed them. I've, mm-hmm. I've blown them up with grenades. I've put buddies in body bags. I picked up a lot of dead body parts about, you know, I've done some things. Um, but it doesn't affect me because it's not that that was then. This is now. Um, that was just part of what had to happen. And I guess as simply put as I can put it, like kind of is what it is. So there's no reason to worry about it. I can't change it. And then I don't have survivor's guilt where a lot of people have survivor's guilt. Like why did I live and they didn't, or why did this happen and not this? Um, and I just realized the gift that life is. So I look at it as, um, I made it home and a lot of my friends didn't. So I'll live life to the fullest because of their sacrifice and their family sacrifice. You know, and then the reason we, the foundation's so great is because we help the whole family out. Um, whereas like, I know my wife makes a sacrifice every day. She won't admit it and she won't act like it, but you know, being married to a guy with no arms, no legs, when you have a different future planned out when I was six foot three, 250 pounds and athletic and everything with arms and and hands and feet and toes and have that all happen. Um, she makes a massive, massive sacrifice, um, that she never talks about. And, um, I try to honor I try to honor her, you know, and uh, realize 
what these families actually go through because it's not just the service member that was injured or going through this alone. We are talking with Travis Mills this morning. Travis Mills uh, is an American hero, as you've been uh, listening, or if you already knew, he's a uh, survivor, a uh, most extraordinary survivor, uh, because he survived quadruple amputations. He uh, he lost four limbs or portions of all four of his le- uh, legs and arms, and uh, and is now a motivational speaker and is a champion for so many other soldiers and recalibrated warriors, if you will, uh, through the Travis Mills Foundation. So I'm looking at the foundation page, and I want people to visit this, travismillsfoundation.org, just exactly how you think it would be spelled, Travis Mills. There's no secrets there, foundation.org. The Travis Mills Foundation supports post-9-11 recalibrated veterans and their families through various programs that help these heroic men and women overcome physical and emotional obstacles, strengthen their families, and provide well-deserved rest and relaxation. I want to talk about the emotional part of this. When you do speeches, when you do... um you know, your motivational speeches, or when you talk to other soldiers um, who do, uh, or veterans who do have survivor's guilt, are you able to share any of that mindset with them? Because I spoke, um, you know, the TV show that you did with me uh, a, a few months ago, I, th- I think it was back in November, I just had another veteran veteran on by the name of Scotty Hastings, and he is um, he's uh, an Army veteran who was shot 10 times. He got shot 10 times in Iraq. And survived, or I'm sorry, Afghanistan, and survived. And he has extraordinary emotional um, survivor's guilt. He wrote a song about it. He became a musician and actually wrote a song asking God, how do you choose who lives and who dies? So there's so many out there, Travis, who who have that and and don't know why they're still here. How do you get through to them when you meet them, whether it be at speeches or wherever? Are you able to share anything with them? Well, I mean, it's kind of hard. So if I see people at the foundation... um you know, when they're coming to visit, if I'm in town, uh, I come out and say hi, and I talk to them and see how they're doing in life and check in. Um, but my presentations I give, um, you know, I <laughs> I didn't sell out, but I'm I'm a corporate speaker. So I'll meet somebody in the crowd that maybe did serve, or maybe they have a loved one that's going through a rough time, and I'll tell them to go visit the website, check out the Warrior Path program, because it's one of the best in the nation for post-traumatic growth. And it's basically the premise of we're all going to struggle, but we learn how to struggle well. Um, but, you know, I just I try to make sure that we reiterate like we were the lucky ones to make it back home, um, and I just wrote a new book. It came out last November. It's called Bounce Back. So my first one it did very well, tough as it come, but my second one is more about you know people that have went through things and they've been able to bounce back. You know whether that's cancer, whether that's um, a widower, post traumatic stress due to service. Like, and the biggest you know. Uh, thing I tell people is, is principle number one out of the 12 principles in there is stop asking why. And I learned when I stopped asking why this happened that my life got better because there's no answer. There, there's no rhyme or reason that's going to make me go like, oh, huh, that makes sense. This is why this happened. So I can just accept that I can stop asking why, but I can still understand this did happen, and I can st- uh, accept that it did happen. I can move forward to a better future. And that's kind of where I'm at in life because I used to sit there and and wonder and then ask well, why this happened and so they're like oh my gosh the rest of my life i have no arms no legs like how was this the plan for me and then i realized that did me no good so i can just accept this happened i can move forward in life because i was given that chance to live through my injuries and i can move to a better future so that's kind of that's how i cope with it and, and go through and then i also don't look at myself as any different instead of saying you know i tell people i'm still handicapped you know but making it when they say how are you doing today as a joke to break the ice but I have a few extra steps in the morning, right? I have my legs go on, then my pants. I got my arm goes on, then my shirt. 
And that's just all there is to it. This is just my new normal, my recalibration, if you will. And I go about life like uh, nothing's really different. And I think making people around me understand that life goes on, make the most of it, and that there's no sense in dwelling on the past because you're not going to change it. So just reminisce the good times and forget the bad times the best you can. Um, learn from them and go forward. You know, Travis, you are a, uh, a fountain of optimism. And I love what I love about you is, you know, and, and when anytime I look you up, which I do, especially if we're going to talk, and especially when I'm talking to Dave Mortosh and we're planning some things to help support the foundation, anytime I look you up, I can't find a picture of you that you're not smiling in. And I'm not talking about ones where you're posing for the camera because we all try to smile when we pose. I'm talking about candid shots. Everywhere you are doing everything you do, you just seem happy, bro. And and I think that's just an amazing thing given your circumstances. Well, you know, you have to be. Um, You you don't have to be happy if you don't want to be, I guess. But at the same time, (laughs) I realized that I probably at the time when I got blown up at 25 years old, I had, you know, 50 years left, hopefully, you know. Um, And there's no reason to be miserable. Like, yeah, this, this is not the most ideal situation. It's not what I'd ever choose for myself. And, you know, people always ask, well, with all the good you're doing, if you can go back in time, would you change it? And they're surprised because I'm like, yeah, in an instant, I would change it. I mean, you know, and um, it's not that I don't love what I do now. It's that I enjoyed having arms and legs, <laughs> you know, but, but you can't. You can't change it. So instead of dwelling, like I said in the past, I just reminisce. Yeah. Um, my situation doesn't change. of no arms, no legs. So I, my attitude is the only thing I can really control. And I make the best out of it. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I've been, I've been truly blessed with, with a wonderful family, uh, you know, a wife of going on 16 years, uh, a daughter that's 12. My son's going to be six or no, sorry. He is six. Um, and you know, life goes on and we have people, you know, that support the foundation. Like I said, you know, the reason that I'm popular with you, not that you wouldn't find my story and have me to talk to, um, it's because Dave Mortosh, you know, of Mortosh Financial, he just saw me speak at, a. Um, a company gathering uh, is actually out in Jamaica, believe it or not. And he's like, I want to help this guy. I believe in this guy's mission. And we get that from people. And uh, I mean, none, you know, none bigger than Dave, but we get that where people want to help give back and let people in my situation or like this, Mr. Hastings that you talk to know like, Hey, life, life goes on. And we are, we are here for you as a nation. We support what you've sacrificed and what you've been through. And we want to help you. And like I said, you know, we have the warrior path program, which, people listening right now might not know somebody that's missing limbs or, um, you know, has some paralyzation or something going on due to service as a physical injury, like we do for the family camps, but they probably know a first responder or a veteran that has post-traumatic stress that needs some help. Yeah. And we provide that help because people support us. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think I just sum it up and I can't change it. I'll make the most of it and I'll never let my kids see me down because you know, what, what lessons does that teach them? No, you're exactly right, and 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 I think your attitude is just so inspirational and something for other people to follow. Hey, Travis, I've got somebody else here who's got a question or something to say to you. Travis, yep. it's it's Seth. How you doing, man? Yeah, I knew it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I never really got a chance to say this to you personally, like on the air. Uh, and Bob, you don't even probably know the story, but when I, yeah, I'm no hero. I'm an idiot who stepped on a nail, ended up losing my leg. I was in a coma for a few days. Once he found out, once Travis found out that I was actually in the hospital and lost a leg, he called me, and he called me a few different times while I was in the hospital. And you talk about his inspiration to the soldiers and the, these guys that are at his foundation. He was an inspiration to me you know, before I lost a leg. But when he talked to me, he made me feel better about things. And his optimism and his, his joy for life rubbed off on me like you can't believe. 
I'm happier well, now than I was before, and it's because of you, and I just want to say thank you for that. Well, Seth, I appreciate that. And, but the thing is, I, I think that my story, yes, it's military-based because I was blown up in Afghanistan, but I'm just so fortunate that I can resonate with everybody, and that's what I want to do. I want everybody to know, like, um, you know, a big another thing, a big thing I, I'm passionate about telling everybody is, you know what, your biggest problem is your biggest problem. And that doesn't mean that you have to look at my situation or maybe your situation, even Seth, missing a leg and say like, oh, they got it worse than me. Because the truth is what we're going through in life is real and it's relevant. And our biggest problem is our biggest problem. And we got to find a way to get over um, or through um, whatever situation we find ourselves in. So that's what I try to do. If I can help somebody with my presentations or my positive outlook or my videos on Instagram and Facebook, you know, my, in the, again, harmless or shameless, I actually should say plug of, at SSG Travis Mills on Facebook and Instagram. I do a lot of fun videos. But, you know, seeing is believing. I had that same thing given to me. I had a guy that lost both arms and legs named Todd Nicely, who's the second ever quadruple amputee, walk into my room and let me know, hey, you're not a bad person. God does not hate you. You did nothing wrong in life to deserve this, and you're going to be fine. You're going to walk, drive, feed yourself, all the things you think you can't do. And I needed that, right? Seeing is believing. So that's what we try to offer here at the foundation. That's what I try to offer to everybody that I – you know, cross paths with us is like, hey, what you're going through is real and relevant, but there's always a way through. Just keep pushing, you know, and and you're you're going to be a okay type deal. Well, I'll tell you what, um, it's uh, it's a remarkable thing to hear you tell that story and to hear you spread that optimism. I'm so glad to know you, and I'm so glad to be working with Dave and other folks here in Northeast Ohio to help with the Travis Mills Foundation. Travis, before you go, I mentioned I see Miles for Mills Memorial Day weekend. That's happening up there in Maine and Brunswick, Maine. Uh, any other events that you want to promote as far as fundraisers? And then even if it's not an event, how can people donate to help the foundation to help you do it, you and your mission? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So we have we do have the Miles for Mills um, 5K. It's like a 13th year, uh, which is awesome. And it's um, at the Brunswick. It used to be the naval base up here, so it's on like an airstrip. It's really fun. Uh, cool. There's space painting for kids. There's a lot of family activities. Um, we have different various golf tournaments that get put on by third parties everywhere um, across this wonderful nation of ours. Um, you know, we have the Dave Mortash, you know, raffle that he does mm-hmm. um, every Veterans Day um, time frame. And, you know, the thing is, if people want to get involved, they just visit TravisMillsFoundation.org. Um, whether you want to come visit and volunteer, you want to donate to our foundation, or honestly, you want to help us spread the word of what we do and who we are uh, by sharing our page and our social media handles, uh, it all helps. All the information, like I said, is there at TravisMillsFoundation.org. I encourage everybody to uh, do their research, make sure that we check out, because I know we do. <laughs> We're very diligent on the 990s and posting and being very upfront and transparent, because... Well, I'll be honest with you, it's my name on the line, so I can't have anything tarnish that. Um, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you, and, and I'm thankful for you know Ohio and all they've done for us. And uh, you know Dave Mortosh at Mortosh Financial stepping up to the plate with his wife and, and just being there on, on my team as well as Seth's team and everybody um, you know, getting involved. So well, that's, that's kind of my, yeah, that's my elevator speech. I'm sorry. I'm not good at this. I just appreciate the time. Dude, you're, you're turf. You're terrific at this. You're perfect. That's exactly what everybody needed to hear. And I'm so glad Travis Mills org. And yes, we're looking forward to the veterans day raffle and the event this year with Dave Mortosh. We're having you back here in Northeast Ohio, but I do want people to go to the website. There is a make a donation button at the top of the page, Travis Mills org. There are very few things that I can think of more worthwhile to donate your charitable, uh, funds to than the Travis Mills Foundation. So hopefully people will do exactly that. Travis, God bless you, man. Thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for being who you are. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and enjoy your weekend. You got it, brother. Thank you. All right, there you go. That's Travis Mills. He's just, uh, like I said, a fountain of uh, 
of optimism. Worry about any of that? Next step, people should go to your website and see some of your work. Easiest way to connect with us is architect.com and check out our expanded service area. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, I have counted them down, and I am counting eight minutes now past the hour of 10 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday. It is the first morning of the third month in the year of our Lord, 2024. And, uh, boy, what a what a phenomenal conversation <clears throat> with Travis Mills. If you have uh, not yet visited his website, even if you're not ready to donate at this moment, uh, visit the website, learn a little bit about the fundraisers that are going on, learn about the raffle that we're going to be having that uh, not we, but Dave Mortosh has been hosting for the last several years, and uh, it's going to be held uh, around Veterans Day, but there's a big buildup between now and them, a huge challenge to raise money for the foundation. So uh, become familiar with it, even if you're not ready to push the donate button right now, but go to travismillsfoundation.org. Uh, still a lot to do today coming up in the third hour. At the top of that hour, we're going to have in studio, I've got two chairs across from me right now, and one will be filled by former Cleveland Patrice Police Patrolman's Association President Steve Loomis. The other is going to be filled by the current uh, prosecutor in Cuyahoga County, Mike O'Malley. Mike O'Malley is running for re-election. He is being challenged by a radical um, cop-hating, law-and-order-hating um, George Soros acolyte. And I hope I'm not being too firm with that description. I think it's actually very, very accurate. He does not believe in policing, does not believe in law, does not believe in prisons, incarceration. Uh, essentially, he he cares about criminals and what happens to them more than he cares about their victims. And he wants to be the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor. His name is Matthew Ahn. And we are going to discuss what it's going to take to make sure Michael Malley stays in that uh, uh, prosecutor's office. And the difficult part about it is we have a probably overwhelming number of people listening to this program who are Republicans, and you won't be able to cast a vote because this is a Democratic primary between O'Malley and on. So we're going to talk about ways that you can support Mike O'Malley and thus the protection and the service of the people of Cuyahoga County um, if you are not going to be pulling a Democrat ballot in that primary. So uh, Mike O'Malley and Steve Loomis at the top of the next hour. Uh, for this hour, I want to welcome to the program now uh, an individual who's doing something that I absolutely love, and that is pushing back in a manner of speaking against what has be- uh, come to be known as Pride Month. It's the month of June, which I have renamed the month of groom, because it kind of rhymes, sort of, and it's really important and appropriate because they are trying to groom our children all month of June into a deviant alternative lifestyle, trying to confuse them, trying to make them question their own selves, their own identities, uh, and uh, trying to celebrate those things. It's just very dangerous, uh, as I think everybody knows. So our next guest is pushing back on Pride Month and promoting something called Natural Family Month. What's that? Let's ask him. J.R. Harrison joins us now from the Natural Family Strong organization. Uh, J.R., thank you for the time. How are you? I'm blessed and great, great question. And, and look, as a Christian, as a conservative, 
I'm tired of playing defense. I mean, really tired of it. And we have an opportunity with a natural family month to take an offensive stance for a change. Christians, conservatives are noted as complainers, right? We don't like anything, like Mikey on the commercial. <laughs> we just don't like anything, okay? So what happens when we put the opposition in that Mikey position? And that's what the Natural Family Month does. And the Natural Family Month celebrates the natural family, which is basically, i got to say this, one biologically born man, one biologically born woman, and a lifelong committed monogamous relationship. That, sir, is a best practice. Now, that doesn't mean we have a 50% divorce rate. So does that mean you can't celebrate that? No. This is the vision that America should be operating under. You're, you're going to a meeting uh, this coming weekend. If, if this nation, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, was already celebrating the nation, a natural family month, uh, Mother's Day week, first week, and then may perhaps Children's Week or Grandparents Week or Extended Family Week and then ending on Father's Day. If that was already in process, how much difference would that make in your conversations with other people? And that's really what we're pushing for. That's we a f- want to get back to reality, back to sanity. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, that's a no, that's a phenomenal question. Uh, you know, to try to f- to try to figure out what it would look like and what those conversations would sound like if this had already been going. Tell me about the organization, the Natural Family Foundation, Jr. Okay, great question. By the way, we started the Natural <laughs> Family Movement. The, the organization has been in existence for about about eight nine years, mm-hmm. and I have uh, I've been I got bit by the righteous bug about thirty five years ago. And I started off by trying to get the uh, get the right people elected to office. And I thought that would take care of everything. Didn't work. Then I went after the church. I tried to get the pastors to speak relevant sermons, to be salt and light in the world. And I'm going, as goes the church, so goes the nation. If we don't fix the church, nothing else is going to work, which is a partial truth. But I had a, an opportunity to talk to somebody from the John Maxwell organization, and they gave us some management consulting. And I, they started talking about the seven areas of influence. And, of course, when they got to church, I said, stop right there. That's all you need to do. But they mentioned the family and other, other institutions. And I started thinking, well, wait a minute. If the family is broken, which it is in America, if the family's broken, how effective is your church going to be? How effective is your nation going to be? So it, it just it went, whoa, wait a minute. This is the core. This is the foundation. And we need to start focusing on that so we can help the church become that light in our nation. But they can't do it with a broken family. So that's what that's what generated the organization to try to change the focus, the vision in America. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. We want to cast that vision of the natural family. And 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 Bob, that is that is it's not, it, it is not the only answer. But I don't think we can do it without the family. And as a result of that, uh, in 2022, we went to a local city council. And the year before, they'd done their first uh, uh, gay pride celebration. We went to that city council in March, and we said, hey, why not consider celebrating a natural family month from Mother's Day through Father's Day? Well, guess what? Their jaws dropped. They didn't know what to do with it. They're not used to they expected me to get up or someone to get up and complain about uh, the June celebration. No, we presented an option. And I can tell you, mostly city council members or school board members won't respond back to you, Bob. 
They won't say anything. I got responses from over half of the, of the city council members, and it was frustration. So as a result of our ask, in 2022, the city did not have a gay pride celebration. And it's, I can tell you right now, it drives the LGBTQ community crazy, as well as public servants. They don't want to hear this. They don't know what to do about it. We are talking with uh, J.R. Harrison. He is uh, a representative. Are you a uh, president chair? What's your actual title with the Natural Family Foundation? Officially, you call me the director, director. the national director. Okay. Yes, uh, so, so, so the director of the Natural Family Foundation, when we talk about the breakdown of the family, um, mm-hmm. is, it, is it organic? I mean, we do see extraordinarily high um, divorce rates. Um, there are a lot of things that I think drive families apart or break families apart uh, on their own right now. It's a difficult time maybe in our culture, but uh, there is also an attempt to break up the family. I mean, we hear leaders of certain organizations with Marxist uh, um, principles behind them literally talk about their goal is to disrupt and break up yes, sir. the, you know, the traditional, uh, you know, uh, nuclear family, the Western civilization, nuclear family. So what is the bigger threat, that intent or the fact that a lot of people are just not able to, you know, make their marriages and their families stick together? I, first of all, and I, it's a great question. I don't use the term nuclear. Okay. If you look at Encyclopedia Britannica, nuclear now includes gay marriage. And that's why natural is such a strong word, because it's invulnerable. If you see it, you see it in action, you see it spiritually, you see it physically. Children automatically need a mother and a father. That's a spiritual need. And you take one of them out of the family, we'll go to the prison systems and, 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 and talk to the, to the inmates there about their family life. I did not know that they changed the definition of nuclear family. Uh, that's, that's, but then again, why should we be surprised not to change the subject, but they changed the definition of vaccination and vaccine and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and pandemic and so forth all to fit a narrative, but at any rate, okay. So we'll call it the natural family, but nonetheless, uh, the, the question remains the same. And that is the bigger threat. Is it, is it just people's inability to stay together because of, you know, maybe, maybe temptations outside of the bounds of marriage or other things like that? Or is it this intentional disruption of the natural family? It's intentional. I mean, we could go back to the Garden of Eden and the first thing that got attacked was the family, Adam and Eve. And, and God, God created three institutions for the benefit of the man, the family, the church, and the state, and in that order. And the family is critical because, we look, you have a certain relationship with your mother and father that you don't have with your neighbors. It is, it is inbred in you, and it's, it's very, very important to have that. If you can destroy that and get a 1984-type environment or a Brave New World-type environment where we don't have fathers, we don't have mothers, we just have, quote-unquote, the state is the daddy. Mm-hmm. That is what their ultimate goal is, because once they get that relationship between the child and the state, then their job's over with. The rest, the rest is easy. 
Does that so answer your question? It does. It does. And uh, and all of those things make sense. Uh, and sadly, they're all tragic and uh, and and quite mm-hmm. frankly terrifying. Uh, we're talking to uh, J.R. Harrison. If you just turned us on, J.R. Harrison is the director of the Natural Family Foundation, and he is pushing and promoting, as is the foundation, Natural Family Month as kind of an alternative to, or maybe just a highlighting of uh, the opposite side of the quote unquote Pride uh, Pride Month that uh, 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 June has been declared to be. And this month isn't going to be a calendar month, but from Mother's Day to Father's Day, which I think is just a glorious idea because every child in the history of humanity has had a mother and a father, Uh, not two fathers, not two mothers. uh, And last time I checked, eight million plus people on this planet had all been born to women. None have ever been born to men. So that's that, that That was the last count I saw. So it's important, isn't it, Jr. to to kind of remind everybody that you can you can have your little fantasy games all you want, have your little celebrations here. But the real family is the natural family, because none of us would be here without one. Amen. Amen. And amen. And Bob, I was I was not I was not privileged to be born in what you would call a natural family. I had a father that was an alcoholic, a womanizer, and an abuser. He didn't want anything to do with me. So I, in essence, had a vacuum there where that father should have been. And that created issues with me. That, look, you'll do, you'll do anything to fill that gap. Drugs, sex, gangs, it doesn't make any difference. You'll do anything because that, that is the need there that every child has. And by the way, it is a need for a man and a woman not two men or not two women. It is, it is a, it, it, I'll tell you from personal experience and folk I've talked with, it's just, it just drives you crazy trying to fill that gap. So if you, if you want to destroy a nation, yes, go after the family, take, take that out. And, and the beauty of what they're doing in this brave new world we are in 19, 2024, not, not 1984, is that they're, they are actually making the state the daddy. You look at the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and what it did. The state became the sugar daddy, the supporter, and and you had black families that were that were stable. But once the government got involved in that, boom, broken up. Jr. Um, I want to ask a difficult question, um, sure. and because I, I want to know how to answer it myself. Um, mm-hmm. There are sadly a lot of orphaned children, uh, children yep. who do not have parents at all, um, and who are growing up in a, you know, very difficult circumstances. And people will say, uh, is it better for that child to be an orphan and to be, you know, moving from foster family to foster family and, and never really having roots? Uh, or would it be better for a gay couple to adopt that child and raise that child, uh, whether it be two men or two women, whatever the case might be? Uh, because wouldn't it be better to have a child being loved and cared for by somebody than to be in a situation, like I said, where they really didn't have roots and a family? Great question. And I know of a situation where a young girl on drugs, on the street, got pregnant, left the baby at the hospital. And it's a personal situation I was aware of. Mm-hmm. And in two days, I found at least two families that wanted to adopt that baby and and there are more out there i'm just not i don't have to look any further mm-hmm. so i i don't accept hey there's nobody else that will accept this child so put them in a, a mono a mono or a woman and woman family I, I don't accept that and we need as a nation 
to understand that that is exist. And, and, and please, we, we have to understand that we part of the natural family movement is a lifelong committed monogamous relationship with a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Lifelong committed monogamous relationship. What would happen if your first relationship, knowing another man or a woman, was the only one you've ever had? It makes one heck of a difference. And you stop this insanity of having babies and dropping them off at the hospital. Well, you're right. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, not not every orphan child is a result of somebody having a uh, made, a, made yeah. a terrible decision and dropped their baby off in a hospital. I mean, parents have been killed or or circumstances where, you know, somebody, uh, uh, you know, one of the parents is gone. And again, maybe it's a military thing or something of that nature. And then you've got a single mother who can't mm-hmm. take care of the baby. And so she puts the baby up for adoption. There are all kinds of different reasons. But if those babies aren't being adopted by natural families that you're talking about. And by the way, I'm an adoptee. So I, I know I, I know exactly what we're talking about, and I was I was never ever ever ashamed of that. My sister, who was an adoptee, was she she never wanted anybody to know. She thought there was some sort of stigma attached to it. I never did. Mm-hmm. I never cared. My parents, my you know, my mother and my father told me you know as soon as I was old enough to understand what it meant, um, you know, and they told me. So I, I believe me, I'm a strong supporter of adoption, uh, but not everybody baby can be adopted by a natural family as we define it. Uh, so again, given the choice between having no real family roots to rely upon, if there are two people who are of the same sex living in the same house, trying to provide care for a child, um, I, I guess the question is, is, you know, is there a better alternative? Well, I, all I can say is that if, if, if you take a child and put it in an environment where there is a man and a man <clears throat> or a woman and a woman, when that child grows up, they're going to find out there was no Santa Claus. They've always known that they've had that need for a woman and a man. They've always known that. And when they grow up and they're 25 and 30 years old and they discover, whoa, wait a minute, that wasn't really a female. That was a male. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Well, that's always been my biggest argument about this thing, too. And it's not to be discriminatory and it's not to be prejudiced or bigoted or anything mm-hmm. else. But but there are some things that my children cannot get from me. They can only get from their mother. And there are some things that my children cannot get from their mother. They can only get from me. Yeah. And it's because a child does need a mother and a father in their lives. And that's, again... That's not to disparage any single mom who's working her tail off because maybe, you know, the husband left or maybe the husband was never there to start or maybe the husband had something tragic happen or maybe he's been imprisoned. I don't know. Uh, And it's not to say they can't do their level best. And sometimes they do very well and the child turns out to be very, very happy, healthy and productive. And that's a great thing. But the odds are a lot longer if there is not a mother and a father in the house, hence the need for the natural family. Amen. Amen. And we're at naturalfamilystrong.com naturalfamilystrong.com. We have information on the celebration there and love to have folks go to it. Uh, We have uh, the state of Idaho, by the way, is in the process of declaring a natural family form uh, celebration. Well, you beat me to my last question, which is, you know, what what do we have to do to get this to be something that's accepted in states or, or federally? I mean, I don't know who declared that National Pride Month was the month of June and they get a whole month to do this stuff when there's one day for veterans and there's one day uh, for Memorial Day, but they get a whole yeah. month for this thing. I don't know who declared it as such, but how do we get that same declaration for Natural Family Month? You have to start. Uh, 
uh, last year we had several churches uh, in several states, and uh, we we're going to have a we have a proclamation on the website. If you go to the nat- to the Natural Family Month, I see it. A proclamation for a city to declare the Natural Family celebration from Mother's Day. By the way, Mother's Day to Father's Day are bookends. Yes, right. And like like Which you is said, it, it is it is a natural celebration. Excuse the pun. No, no pun in, um, pun intended. Pun intended. It is a natural <laughs> celebration to be to be held, to hold that from uh, Mother's Day yeah. to Father's Day because, of course, that is indeed what we are talking about with a natural family. So, yeah, I'll yeah. encourage people to see that proclamation too, and maybe they can start that on their local levels and start talking to legislators and people in the. Uh, uh, positions to make this happen. Naturalfamilystrong.com is the homepage for Natural Family Foundation. Naturalfamilystrong.com. We'll talk again as we get closer to the month of June or maybe even around Mother's Day when we can start this thing, uh, JR, because I certainly want to put as much weight behind this as I can. Thanks, Bob. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, there you go, J.R. Harrison from the Natural Family Foundation. We'll take a time out here. We're going to come back and go into pop- 5174. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we continue now at 1035 on this free for all Friday, also known as fist bump Friday, although I haven't mentioned that a few, uh, in a, in a few Fridays. I don't know why, but we did it in the building. Thank you to Lenny. Lenny G came in and gave me the knuckle, said fist bump Friday. I walked into the fish studio and gave him to Len and Sarah. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't knuckled up on set today other than the time I punched him in his eye. But, uh, uh, yeah, fist bump Friday today. Try to make sure you share those knuckles <clears throat> with the people that you care about or even the people that you don't. Share them with strangers. That's how friendships are born. Uh, put them up and tell people it's fist bump Friday. They will reflexively uh, put them back up for you. Uh, thanks again to J.R. Harrison. We had a great conversation uh, earlier on with Travis Mills. If you missed either one of those, they will be uh, up on the webpage at whkradio.com about an hour after the show. Uh, coming up in about a half an hour, don't forget, here in our studio, one of these chairs across from me will be filled by Steve Loomis, former Police Patrolman's Association president. He's here in support of the man who will be filling the other chair, which is the current Cuyahoga County Prosecutor, Mike O'Malley, who is facing a challenge uh, in the uh, prosecutor's race from a radical Soros devotee um, who wants to essentially abolish police and abolish prisons. I mean, quite literally, cares more about criminals than about victims. So uh, it's kind of incumbent upon us to give you all of the reasons you need to support Mike O'Malley in whatever way that you can in this race. So we'll talk to Loomis and O'Malley in studio. FYI, we have reached out to Matthew on multiple times about this race to get him on to try to explain himself to me if he can. Uh, we have not yet heard any response from them. So we will give Mike O'Malley another uh, another spot, and he'll be on with us at about 1110 along with Steve Loomis, who is a big supporter. Now, speaking of the primaries, Dave Joyce is running for re-election. Uh, he has been there for some time now. He's seeking his seventh two-year term in the Ohio House, and he is, or excuse me, in the U.S. House of Representatives, and he is facing a couple of challengers. One of them joins me now. You've heard him before on this program. He is a former Cleveland Brown. He is a he is a uh, successful dentist, uh, and he is now a candidate for Congress. Kenneth Polk of Saybrook, health insurance consultant and a former dentist, I guess I should say, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Now, Ken... Before you start, or Dr. Polk, if you prefer, before you start, 
I understand you have a little bit of a, an oral surgical situation that is limiting your ability to enunciate the way you normally would, right? Well, uh, and good morning, Bob, and thank you for having me on your show. But Certainly. yeah, I am slurring my words a little bit. Uh, I was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, and Dr. Eric Lamar, I have to give him a shout-out, he did a marvelous job at the Cleveland Head and Neck Institute. And yes, I had a partial glossectomy, which is a removal, a partial removal of my tongue. Now, I've had a lot of family and friends call up uh, complaining to uh, Dr. Lamar that he should have removed my whole tongue. But that's a whole <laughs> different story, Bob, and, and, and we won't go there with that story. But uh, yeah, so I am slurring a few words. I, I'm doing my uh, exercises. Uh, she sells seashells by the seashore, and uh, I'm sure people, when they see me driving by, they think I'm completely out of my <laughs> mind. But, uh, yeah. So good morning, and thank you for having me. Oh, I wanted to also uh, thank you for having uh, my pastor, Pastor Jeff Turing, on your show uh, from Liberty Valley Church. Great, uh, great congregation, great people over there. Uh, I really enjoy myself uh, in my visits there. Well, so. I, I agree with you on Pastor Jeff. He's a great man, and he is a true, true leader and uh, uh, and uh, an inspiration to a lot of people with his faith and with his biblical uh, knowledge and the and what he shares. So I, I, uh, I second super, that emotion. Super guy. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Ken. Good I'm curious, Ken. B- before we talk about policies and things that uh, uh, people need to know about you, as far as your run for Congress here, with respect to your situation and the partial removal of your tongue, and you said you're doing your exercises, will you eventually become accustomed to speaking with that, you know, condition to the point where you will not slur? Is that what the exercises are intended to do, yes. or will it always yes. be this way? Yes, Dr. Lamar, because he said they were able to remove all the cancer. Uh, they removed one lymph node with no signs of spreading. Mm-hmm. So I'm very thankful for that. We caught it early. He did not have to remove as much, nor did he have to do any reconstruction. So he's very confident that uh, over a period of time, I will regain my full uh, uh, speech uh, back. Uh, I was I was a bass singer, but now he's turned me into a second tenor, and I'm <laughs> a little unhappy about that. But we're working on that as well. Well, that's terrific, and I'm glad you've got a great, uh, uh, you know, attitude about it. And by the way, it's you know, when when, uh, when I learned of your condition, um, I expected it to be a lot worse. You're doing very, very well. I mean, I don't know what it should have sounded like, but I expected it to be worse than what it is. And I think you're very clear still, uh, despite you know, very limited slurring. So it's good that people know that if they do hear anything, so that they don't think anything is, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Is, I just I just don't want people thinking that I've been drinking already since eight a.m. this morning. <laughs> Morning, so yeah. yeah, get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, Doctor Polk, let's talk about uh, the race now. Uh, Dave Joyce has been there for six terms in fourteen. He is running for his seventh. And what made you decide this is the time to enter a race and to challenge uh, Dave Joyce for a spot in Congress? Well, that's probably a two-part uh, answer to that question, and you know the answer to part mm-hmm. one as well as I do. You talk to the voters every day. I talk to the voters every day. Uh, all I hear is a lot of griping and complaining. Uh, they're not happy the way things are going. And uh, quite honestly, with the border crisis, with inflation, uh, the list goes on and on and on. The homelessness problem, the crime scenario. Uh, why isn't David Joyce singing and screaming from the rafters about all these problems. The only time you hear from him is when he's up for re-election, 
And then all of a sudden, he turns into this ultra-conservative with his literature when, quite honestly, he votes with the Democrats more often than not. He abstains. I don't know of any congressperson that abstains from voting as much as he does. And quite honestly, uh, he does whatever his major contributors tell him to do and how to vote. So that's, that's what I'm hearing from the voters. They're very, very upset with him. Now, the second part, why am I running? Uh, I will, at the risk of sounding like a narcissist, uh, I am a leader of men. My uh, playing days out on the football field, uh, having led uh, uh, as a quarterback to the Miami Dolphins with the Cleveland Browns, I have led black men. I have led white men. I have led rich men. I have led poor men. And having practice in the business sector, uh, I, I can lead in that category as well. So I bring a wealth of experience to the table from the business world. I know how to meet payroll. I know how my employees are counting on me to make sure that the business is profitable so they can pay their mortgages, so they can pay their bills. I know all the responsibilities that come with being a business person. So I bring a wealth of, of uh, experience there. Aside from the fact, and again, this is going to sound very narcissistic, but I'm very intelligent, very well-educated. But more importantly, the value that I got from my mother was the importance of plain, simple, common sense, which is very lacking in this country right now. Uh, you have got a communist in the White House, and you've got an idiot that is backing him up. I've never seen a more dysfunctional administration than what is currently there running this country right now. But that's a whole different uh, topic, and that's that's why I'm running. I'm angry. I'm upset like all the other voters. I'm not a politician. I'm not a lawyer. And I do know, know the difference between a man and a woman because I am a doctor. I'm not a Jill Biden doctor. I am a real doctor. So that's why I'm running. Yeah, and you didn't did, have to did be. I, a, did I answer that for you, Bob? Yeah, well, that that that's a lot of stuff. And by the way, it's good you didn't. Yeah. You don't have to be a biologist to know uh, what a woman is, right. uh, but uh, but you do as a, as a doctor. So, yes. so no, that that's a lot of stuff. Um, and you you hit most of the major things that people are frustrated with and people are angry about. Um, but of course, you know, there's only so much one congressman can do. Uh, and there's Correct. only one, Correct. you know, there, there's, there's probably a limited number of types of bills that you can propose to sponsor or to, to team up with others to support. So how do you prioritize, Ken Polk? How do you, um, you know, you, you talk about uh, the crime, you talked about the immigration issue, you talked about, uh, uh, um, uh, the economy and inflation, which is, by the way, going back up again, we found out this morning. Uh, so Bidenomics is an abject disaster. How do you prioritize for the people in the 14th? What, um, you know, what, what, is, what are the most important things you're going to do for them when you get there? Well, there's a couple of issues going on, and one is a new issue that is coming to the front, and that is that we, as in the 14th District, we are the northern border of the United States. We have to be aware of what's coming across the Canadian border. So that's, that's one issue that is starting to develop that we need to become aware of. But how to address all these problems? You're right. It's going to take time, and no one person is going to do that overnight. However, the problem I have with Dave Joyce is he falls under the same umbrella 
and category as the Mitt Romneys of the world, the Liz Cheney's of the world, uh, the Mitch McConnell's of the world. Uh, I put him in that same category. If you're looking for him for leadership coming out of this district, uh, you're not going to get it. All you're going to get from Dave Joyce are just what his contributors are, t- are telling him to say and to do. I am a man of my own. I know what the priority- priorities are of this community. It's jobs, it's safety, and it's immigration. Immigration is now coming to the 14th District. Well, there's no question it is. And you're right to to highlight the northern border, because I've talked to a few different people over the course of the last few weeks um, who are shining a spotlight on record numbers of crossings from the Canadian side. That doesn't mean they're Canadians, but they are using Canada as a bridge into the United States in the same way so many others are uh, on our southern border. So I'm glad you brought that part up. Um, But when we talk about... um, you know, not being Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney or any of the Mitch McConnell and the others, it sounds like you're trying to say you're not a rhino, you're a true conservative. Would you be interested if you are successful in unseating Dave Joyce and joining the Conservative Freedom Caucus? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I I am uh, I am as conservative as they come. My parents were what were known as JFK Democrats. They loved their country. They loved the military. They had family values. They loved their God. They were Catholics. I am a Catholic, uh, raised a Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic university. Probably if there was a dental uh, Catholic uh, school, uh, I would have gone to that. I believe Marquette is Catholic, and they have a dental program, but didn't know about it. But that's beside the point. So, yeah, I've got, and if you read, get a copy of my book, which we talked about on the last show with you, Conquering Mm -hmm your adversities, all of my principles, all my values are there in black and white. I am not going to stick my finger up in the air to see which way, like Dave Joyce does, to see which way the winds are blowing. You know exactly what you're going to get when you put your check mark next to my name. Ken Polk, um, let me ask you this. Um, foreign policy, we didn't talk much about that. You know, you did talk about the immigration issue and the crime issue and, and, and things here on the domestic front. Dave Joyce voted to fund Ukraine again. I think we're $130 billion in so far, and this new uh, outlay is $60 billion more, so we're pushing up toward $200 billion for uh, a war effort that apparently has no defined end. Um and uh, there are very few people, apparently, in uh, in Washington D.C. right now who are who are who are concerned with that and trying to figure out where this money goes and where the uh, spigot when the spigot must be turned off. Where are you on Ukraine funding? Uh, a definite no. We have given them enough money. We've given them enough support. Perhaps maybe some more military armament, but we have given them enough. If you know the history between Russia and Ukraine. This war has been going on between these two countries for eons and eons. They have abused each other right after the World War II, and they're continuing to abuse each other. Uh, no, I'm not going to support this anymore. Uh, I do not want to get into any more wars. I, I, I'm out of the Vietnam era, and if it wasn't for the lottery, I would have been serving over in Vietnam. I saw too many of my buddies coming home in body bags. I remember a, a, a class athlete coming back from St. Joseph High School, graduated a year ahead of me, 
came back with one leg. He was a cross-country runner. No, I am opposed to us being the policemen of the world. We're done. We're tired of protecting everybody else. They need to stand up. Now, if they want our help, they better start showing it. And I'm not seeing uh, the cooperation coming out of NATO and everywhere else. Plus the fact that Ukraine is such a corrupt country. My God, the corruption there is incredible. So, no, we're done. Uh, We're not giving them another dollar. And what you just said about Dave Joyce, that proves my point. He's another uh, Mitt Romney, another uh, Liz Cheney, and the list goes on and on of all the rhinos. What about the other war that is going on right now, which, of course, is in Gaza, as Israel tries to wipe out Hamas so that they can never again do another October 7th? Uh, there seemed to be strong support for Israel's efforts in the early going from the administration and from the Congress, but now there is a loud call and cry for a ceasefire before the job is finished. It's coming from members of Congress who would be your colleagues. What would you say when you get there? Well, if we can develop a ceasefire, fine. But my, I'm of the mindset that let Israel protect Israel. They have a right as a sovereign country to do that. Uh, you know, there was peace. There was a ceasefire before, uh, what was it, November or October 6th, prior to the being invaded. That was the ceasefire. Who broke that ceasefire is my question to you, Bob. Into your vote. Yeah, well, we know who broke that ceasefire. Uh, And and the reality is, Ken, and I agree with you because I've used that same language, there was never a ceasefire before that because they were still always lobbing rockets and missiles into Israel, even during quote unquote peacetime. So there was never really truly a ceasefire. It's just that they upped their game when they committed that horrific attack on October 7th. And that's why Israel, you know, is doing what they're doing now to make sure this can never happen again. Yeah, uh, no, I agree with you totally. So let let Israel, uh, as they say, have at it. Uh, it. Let them do what they feel is necessary to protect their citizens and their country. Uh, and, and and we need to stay out of it. I, I believe in what Trump believes in. We're done. We're done being the police person of the world. We're, we're just Last- done. I'm sorry, but... Uh, Go ahead. Last question for this conversation. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Ken Polk, who is a candidate for Congress District 14. He's in a primary fight with uh, incumbent Dave Joyce and a couple of other challengers as well. Um, Let me ask you about energy. Uh, Biden has, I think the original goal, if not mandate, was 50% of all cars sold in the United States by the year 2030 need to be EVs. I think they changed that to 67% by 2032. Uh, complete war on the fossil fuel industry, which he declared when he was running, and he has been true to his word, he is trying to kill fossil fuels in this country. Um, what would you do in Congress to try to push back on that? Well, let me first of all say, yes, there is a climate crisis, but it's not the climate crisis <clears throat> that you've been led to believe. With us not producing fossil fuels in this country, we're vulnerable uh, to being dependent on from other people. And everything that we need is still going to be reliable on fossil fuels. So I'm a firm believer like Trump, drill, baby, drill. But if we don't drill, baby, drill, we are going to lead into a climate crisis of starvation. We are not going to have the fossil fuels that we need to continue growing food staples for the rest of the world, including ourselves, and the the lack of fuel to heat ourselves. More people die from cold than they do from heat. 
And that is a definite fact, and I don't care what the climate lunatics say about that, but more people are going to die from cold temperatures. And how do we heat our homes if we don't have fossil fuel? The big mistake that we are doing is we are not developing more nuclear energy. So we need to drill baby drill, develop more nuclear energy, but the solar power and wind power, uh, the technology just is not there. It's not going to replace what we need right now. So what you're so saying I'm trying is, to get a lot in, Bob, in a short period of time here. No, no, you, so. and you're doing you're doing a fine yeah. job of it. But what you're trying to say is that you're a Neanderthal, because that's what uh, this guy said yesterday. Listen to this. I've flown over a lot of these wildfires since I've been president. As a matter of fact, I've been a helicopter in the west and the southwest and the northwest, flown over more land, burned to the ground, all the vegetation gone, than this entire state of Maryland in square footage. The idea there's no such thing as climate change. I love that, man. I love some of my Neanderthal friends uh, who still think there's no climate change. So uh, you're you're one of the Neanderthals, I guess. Yes, I am. Uh, we've got bigger problems <laughs> than this so-called climate crisis. And being a scientist, again, I'm extremely well-educated, uh, extremely intelligent. You're not going to convince me there's climate uh, uh, problems just because so-called... 97% of the scientists say they are. Well, you name me all 97% that aren't being funded by the government to say that. It, it's just such a, uh, Bob, you're, you're going to get me on a soapbox here. It's such a crock. I am a true scientist, and you're not going to feed me a bunch of propaganda. Well, Dr. Ken Polk, I'm glad to hear that's a strong statement. It's a strong argument that you make, uh, and I'm glad to hear that you would be interested in the Freedom Caucus. We need more conservatives and fewer uh, rhino Republicans in Congress, so I certainly uh, respect that. So Ken Polk is running for District 14. He's challenging Dave Joyce. How can people uh, learn more? What's the campaign website? Well, you know, uh, we got into the we got to the dance very late. The mm-hmm. website, we will have that up and running hopefully soon. But as of right now, we do not have one. I made the decision in the midnight hour. Uh, in fact, I got my 50 signature petitions that I needed uh, the very last day that I was eligible to even get my name on the ballot. So I, I don't have any grand illusions. We are building a coalition, and we're going to start slow and build up from here. Uh, you know, uh, Dave Joyce, uh, if he wins this election, he will be up for re-election in two years from now, and we will be in a stronger position then. If not now, then certainly then. All right. Well, Ken Polk, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your vision for this thing with us, and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You got it. My pleasure. There you go. Dr. Ken Polk, former uh, NFL player, former dentist, now a a, a business consultant, and he he wants to go and be a strong conservative voice in District 14. Okay, it's 1056, and we'll take a time out here, and on the other side of that, we're going to welcome some good folks into the studio. Steve Loomis, president, former president of the CPPA, he is supporting the current prosecutor. Hey. AM 1420 has been Cleveland's answer for news, celebrating 100 years in Cleveland. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? 
Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, if that doesn't get you fired up on a free-for-all Friday, I don't know what will. The voice of the great communicator always does it for me, sometimes even more than others. But welcome. It is a Friday, and it is uh, seven minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock, the first morning of the third month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Great conversations all the way through thus far. Thank you to Travis Mills. Thank you to J.R. Harrison. And thank you to um, Ken Polk. And now we have in our studio, as promised, we have uh, one of my favorite people to talk to. He's been coming on this program for years talking about matters of law and order in the city of Cleveland and sometimes about city of Cleveland policies that don't necessarily make for good law and order. Steve Loomis is the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, one of the most outspoken supporters of law and order and the civilians that it protects uh, maybe in the country. Steve, welcome, first I of all. I appreciate that. Thank uh, you, Bob. I don't think he's on there. Let's try that again. <clears throat> Go ahead, Steve. Thank you very much. That's better. Uh, I, pre- yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, Bob. You know, you know our, our mutual friend, Sean Reck, and you were just recently on my TV show, so, uh, he called you probably one of the top ten voices in the country in terms of really? speaking out. Yeah, because, oh, well, pre- you've been on Fox News. I mean, you've, you've, got, you've got national credentials. Yeah, so it, so it, MSNBC, that's always a treat no, that's going on there. Right? But, you know, your voice carries a lot of weight, and especially for the man that you are here in the studio with right now, you have uh, come out as an outspoken supporter of the current Cuyahoga County prosecutor, Mike O'Malley, who is up for re-election and facing a primary challenge on March 19th, and Prosecutor O'Malley is in the studio with us as well. It is so good to see you. How are you, sir? Uh, I am doing well. Bob, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's an important thing that we are doing right now because I said this when I spoke to you last time when we were on the phone together, and I said the same thing to Steve the most recent time we talked, and Steve just echoed it here before we got on the air. Cuyahoga, Cleveland, Ohio, and Cuyahoga County are at risk of becoming Portland or Seattle or San Francisco, dare I say, before they recalled their prosecutor for not doing his job. Uh, Los Angeles County. I mean, all of these places around the country, Mr. O'Malley, um, have just become almost war zones. Um, Civilians, small businesses, all targeted by a, 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 a growing cadre of criminals that have no fear whatsoever of prosecution because the one thing they have in common is they have prosecutors in those jurisdictions that don't believe in holding people accountable uh, for one reason or another whether it be equity or or whatever the case might be but don't believe in holding them accountable for victim victimizing other people and prosecutor O'Malley you're facing somebody that is cut from that cloth you're you're absolutely right Bob uh my opponent is a guy who has publicly advocated um, to abolish police. Um, he's publicly advocated to remove uh, security forces from schools, things that we all know and we have seen throughout uh, the last several decades uh, within our country where there's just – I can't imagine Cuyahoga County without police. And it's this type of view that we've seen. Uh, it just happened. There was a race in Pittsburgh this past November where they tried to uh, put this type of uh, 
uh, thought into the, a person who holds those same type of views into the uh, district attorney's office in Allegheny uh, County, Pennsylvania. So it's a national uh, thing we're seeing. And in my particular race, I have an opponent who is a vast uh, majority of his uh Fundraising has occurred from out of state, you know, in, in places like New York, California, Oregon, and Washington. His first campaign report, 87% of his donations were from out of state. And again, it's we have these people who, quite frankly, uh, don't believe in public safety or don't believe uh, in enforcing the laws that are on our books. And it will make Cuyahoga County a more dangerous place, and there's no question about it. Why do you think those out-of-state donors care so much about Cleveland, Ohio, and Cuyahoga County, Ohio, that they would spend their money on a race that virtually has nothing to do with them? You know, it's a it's an interesting question, Bob. And, you know, other than that, they have tons of money and they're trying to experiment with public safety. There doesn't seem to be a rational reason behind it. And I can tell you is that I have campaigned for these last eight months in virtually every community in in our county. People realize what's going on in the streets. They see it. They see it on the six o'clock news. They read it uh, in the newspapers and people realizing are, you know, that they've come to the realization that we are under siege and, um, and there's violent people, you know, that, that have to be held accountable. We certainly try to rehabilitate low level offenders, people with mental health issues, substance abuse issues. We try to get them out of the cycle of recidivism, but we cannot let our city be taken over by individuals who prefer to use guns and, and do harm to others. You know, one of the biggest, um, differences or points of contention between yourself and your opponent, Matthew, on is um, is binding over criminal youth uh, in, into adult court. Um, he has pledged that no one who is not an actual over 18 adult will be bound over, and apparently that means murderer, uh, rapist, it doesn't matter what violent crime. You have been very specific in saying, look, if you commit the big boy crime, you are going to face big boy time, and you're going to face a big boy courtroom. Um, can you explain the difference between you and why you feel the way you do? Well, you know what? You know, I, I started my career in public office really um, as a Cleveland City Councilman, and I really came to appreciate th- the damage that these types of crimes can do on communities, in whether it was a shooting or there was a, a rash of car burglaries or breaking into cars or or a – uh, uh, perhaps a homicide, you know, people lose confidence in their communities and it's easy to put a house up for sale and continuing this migration out to to outer ring uh, suburbs or into other counties. And so, you know, I came to the realization that we have to keep the people within our neighborhood safe. And, you know, you talk about bind overs last year. Uh, it, it's it's amazing because we have seen such a, a rise in youth violence. We had 41 juveniles in Cuyahoga County uh, last year in 2023 charged with either aggravated murder or murder. And it, it's incomprehensible. People in other counties can't even imagine how that could occur. But, you know, that's what we're facing in Cuyahoga County. There is also a rise in youth violence in Franklin County and Hamilton County, but they pale in comparison to what we have going here in Cuyahoga. And what do you suppose would happen to that rate if if there's a prosecutor and it is known because these people, these, these you know, they may be criminal, but they're not stupid. These, these, you know, some of these younger criminals, but if they know that if they get picked up, 
Um, they're, they're going to be set free. There's going to be no cash bail, and they're not going to be bound over in adult court. If anything, they're going to face some juvie time, maybe. I mean, doesn't that encourage and incentivize them to, well, t- to step up their game? Well, I can tell you, the way I grew up, there was discipline within my household. And, you know, we all knew right from wrong, because if we did wrong, there was some uh, a form of punishment. And, you know, we can't continue to... This this cycle, you know, we have done a good job of targeting the worst offenders and trying to keep people safe. Like I said, uh, we've started an intervention center where these low-level offenses, we're trying to get uh, youth on the right path. But when it comes to putting guns to people, carjackings, robberies that we've seen, the homicides we've seen, you know, at that point, the pendulum has to sing, swing towards public safety. Um, you know, I have an obligation as the county prosecutor to keep the public safe and working with my law enforcement partners. I've got a great staff who are highly trained and highly skilled and, and they do a good job of, of trying to keep our community safe. But again, after COVID, we have seen a, a, a significant rise in violence. And, and again, yeah. it's a matter of keeping it in check. Yeah, that's huge. We're talking to Calgary County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley. He's in studio with Steve Loomis, the former president of the CPPA and a 30-year Cleveland police detective. Yeah. So, Steve, he just mentioned his law enforcement partners. That's you guys. And I'm trying to, you know, we, we've talked at length in the past about the Ferguson effect and about how officers sometimes are afraid to engage and proactively police. They'll only respond to radio calls because they don't want to put themselves into situations that could end up with them either in jail or in, in a coffin. Yeah. What happens if there's a prosecutor like Matthew on who has pledged, as as the prosecutor just mentioned, you know, uh, to abolish police, his, his desire to abolish police, his desire to empty the prisons that are currently in jails that are currently filled and to essentially abolish those as well? Why would you guys go and engage in proactive policing if you're going to put your life on the line, turn these guys over to a prosecutor who's going to kick them and have uh, and, and and go right back out on the street you just caught them from and, and kick them in and. Make a habit out of going after you for doing your job, and then the there's police that because officers. yeah, because he's also yeah. you know expressed that that uh, animosity for cops. Yeah, there's nothing that's good that's going to happen from this. And here's the thing, Bob, this is not uncharted water. He's not reinventing the wheel here. We've seen time and time and time again some of the cities that you mentioned. We we see the devastation in Seattle. We see the devastation in Portland. I know cops up there, and they are absolutely they're they're just collecting a paycheck now. And police officers and, and first responders do this. Uh, it's a calling. You've heard me say that a, yeah, a thousand sure. times. It's something that we do. We know we're not going to get rich doing it. It's something that we do. Instead of sitting on the couch and complaining about everything, we're out protecting the people that can't protect themselves. Don't mess with our kids. Don't mess with our elderly folks. And we'll deal with everything in between, right? Um, you're not going to have that. If you have a prosecutor that is hell-bent on making a name for himself, maybe to try to do something else in life. We see that in New York City now, right? We see it in Atlanta. Um, It it doesn't work out too well for them. Eventually, the law-abiding citizens see what's going on, but by that, why go through it? If we're watching other cities go through this and other counties in the country go through it right now, um, there's just no upside to it at all. Right now, we have a great partnership with the prosecutor's office, um, we have a lot of resources um, with Mr. O'Malley's prosecutor office that we didn't have in some of the previous um, 
even Cuyahoga County prosecutors. Well, you've so, talked about your, your respect for the assistant prosecutors in this office and yeah. how they may not be around. Let me ask uh, the prosecutor about that. I mean, do you have any sense of if you are not in charge of this office as the official prosecutor, what will your, your assistants do? Well, you know, what's disheartening is that they certainly have read the postings from my opponent where he calls for the abolishment of police, freeing people from prisons and jails, and that type of, of nonsensical talk. And so they've seen that. And I think certainly, you know, I don't want to uh, raise any alarms, but certainly anyone who would be working, you know, in who, who's quite frankly, many of my staff had debated their uh, – dedicated their entire legal career to serving victims and representing victims and advocating, um, they're concerned. I mean, and it's natural. And But, you know, we've got a great campaign staff. The message is clear. You know, I've been campaigning throughout the city of Cleveland and, and our, our suburbs in Cuyahoga County, and, and I think the message is getting out there. People don't want to be unsafe in their homes. They want to be able to go to gas stations and fill their cars without getting a gun put to their head and getting carjacked. They want, you know, store owners. I've met with store owners who have been victims of aggravated robberies, and they just want to know that they can employ people who will be safe. And if somebody does violate it and step over the line, that they're going to be held accountable. And my staff does that in a way, uh, working with our partnerships, you know, with our law enforcement agencies in this county. We really do have a good team. We have broken down the silos between each uh, municipal police department. They all work together because it's crime is so mobile with the highway systems. You know, you can be in in Cleveland Heights one minute, Cleveland the next and in Lakewood you know, 20 minutes after that committing crimes. And that's what we're seeing. Prosecutor Michael Malley is in studio with us, along with the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association past president and 30 year detective Steve Loomis. Um can can you talk to me um, a little bit about the, the inner workings of the Democrat Party in the county? Because you came very, very close to getting the 60%, I think it was, necessary to get the official endorsement, but came up just shy. Um, what is your understanding of the level of support within the party for your opponent? Well, it's certainly you know, at the endorsement process, I think I had 58.5%, and I think he had roughly 36 or something. So um, I certainly had uh, significantly more support. But, you know, there are people who believe in these extreme views, and he had their support. And um, That's my concern, and that's my question, really. As you campaign and you talk to the voters of Cuyahoga County, I feel as though, given the political dynamics of this region, there are a lot of them that kind of like the way they do things out there in some of those cities we just talked about. They also believe in equity, and there's too many, too many, uh, you know, racial minorities in jails and prisons, and policing is is clearly racist in its intent and so forth. And that's why they kind of share maybe a little bit about what Matthew on uh, believes in, but they may not know the consequences of supporting such a guy. You know, everybody wants to make sure, and I, I'm sure Steve would tell you the thing. The same thing is that, you know, we all want the criminal justice system, and, you know, that's why Lady Justice has a blindfold on. We all want the criminal justice system to be equitable and fair, and I know this. My staff strives for that every day. Um, I think what I've seen is that there has been just people whose views are just not in line with most people in the Democratic Party, and they've gotten a foothold, and, you know, they're expressing their views like Americans can. But I do believe this. As I travel around and I campaign, 
Again, most people are, are moderates, and they just want safety. They want a job. They want good schools. They want to be able to travel free from fear that something bad will happen. And so, you know what, I think, and I truly believe this, there's far more moderates than there are people who are of the extreme viewpoint, and I think we're going to see that on March 19th. But, I, again, I urge everybody who are Democrats, get out and vote in the Democratic primary on March 18th, and you got to cast your ballot for Mike Lomalley. Uh, because, you know, I do strive for public safety. You know, that, that's the election. That is the election. Right? I mean, Oh, it, yeah, because there's only going to be a write-in, right, on the, from the Republicans yeah. if, they're, yeah. if they're in a, in a general. Uh, Steve, I'll come back to you in a second, but you just touched on something that I, that I think is extremely important here. The Plain Dealer, just the editorial board, just ran a piece two days ago saying, hey, Democrats and independents, pull a Republican ballot uh, so that you can get, keep Donald Trump off of the, you know, or take a bite out of Donald Trump and, and vote for Nikki Haley so that they, they can, you know, try to make sure that he's not the nominee. And I thought to myself, first of all, that's egregious and in its own right, even if it is on the editorial page. But secondly, that's taking Democrats away from you and away from this vote and this extraordinarily important vote. What message do you have for, for them? I, I did not see that. I was not aware that occurred till yeah. till right now. But I I can tell you, their editorial in my race was very strong, where they characterized his candidacy as frightening, and it's not mm-hmm. often you see those type of words used in an endorsement. But you know, they they highlighted his complete lack of experience in anything to do with the legal system. And his viewpoints is frightening. So I can say this. In my race, they certainly got it right. And that's why they urged, you know, the residents of Cuyahoga County to vote O'Malley. Yeah. And I was trying to pull up the language of this here just to kind of let you know. But I guess I can't seem to find it at the moment. But essentially, it's what I just described. They're saying, hey, there's not a lot of important races on the Democrat side anyway. Grab a Republican ballot. There's the headline. Get a Republican ballot in the March 19th primary to make yourself heard. Uh, and that's to give uh, the, the people of the state a choice of, that's better than Donald Trump, who they just despise. Steve. You and I have talked about this, and we were talking about it in just the opposite terms. We're kind of trying to tell maybe some Republican voters, this is extraordinarily important. Think about pulling a Democrat ballot so you can vote for Mike O'Malley. I don't think that's going to happen with Senate, you know, a Senate primary and some other very important races. Mm -hmm. But we're we're literally talking about making sure all hands are on deck to get this man or to keep this man in office. There's there's not a more important race in this primary locally um, and, and even nationally right now. Um, the three the three candidates that are you know on the primary for the Republicans are all good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing any one of them you know move on and and take on Mr. Brown. But uh, as far as local, how it's going to affect you and your life here locally, and and as Cleveland goes, by the way, so do the interring suburbs. And then it, you just see it moving out further and further and further out. Um, it's it's a huge huge problem. Um, there's not a more important race, um, in my opinion, on March 19th than this one right here. Um, Mr. On with his ideology, he's much better suited to be a uh, uh, an, a protester 
um, a well, uh, what he is a left wing college professor. Yeah, t- telling, well, telling adjunct telling professor. Young, he's an adjunct yeah, professor, so he's not even tenured. Telling you know? young students that law and order is bad, and that and, and here's yeah. what I don't understand is how a man uh, can for, run for office as a prosecutor when you don't believe in literally prosecuting criminals. If your stance yeah. is I don't believe in policing, that means the people are going to bring you bad guys you aren't going to want to have, mm-hmm. and that if you don't believe in jails, and then you're not going to prosecute them anyway. I mean, literally, I mean, why he is an activist. So look, look, look what he's saying, Bob. He's saying um, we're going to take the cops out of the schools right now, and and those are dare officers. That's officer friendly in there. Um, that's a terrible idea because now you're going to now you're missing even the younger kids that are that are eventually going to be teenagers that are eventually going to be young men and women. Um, you have to have positive interaction with those kids, and he wants to remove that immediately. So. Um, you know, it makes zero sense that ideology. Uh, it's I don't know what the end. I honestly don't know what the end game is because we see the effects of having a very liberal well, prosecutor. Well, I think yeah. Well, those effects are chaos, and I think yeah. the end game is chaos, which is what we're trying to avoid. We're going to take a time out here. We got a bottom of the hour break. On the other side, I'm going to ask Prosecutor Michael Malley about this headline: Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Candidate Matthew Ahn takes advantage of forum that incumbent Michael. Tickets at ClevelandOrchestra.com. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, we do continue now at 1136. That's our final segment. So we've got a few good minutes left with our guests in studio here. Uh, Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Michael Malley is with us and one of his strongest supporters, 30-year Cleveland Police Detective Steve Loomis is here as well. So, Prosecutor O'Malley, um, I asked you about this right before the break. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about it off the air, but let's tell everybody on the air what this event was. It was a uh, an event hosted by the Greater Cleveland Congregations, um, and it was supposed to be a prosecutor forum night. Uh, Matthew on went to this, your your opponent in this primary, and according to something called Signal Cleveland, took full advantage of it because you weren't there and you skipped it. Can you tell us what that's about? Certainly. You know, before the event, um, I had a radio, not a radio, a telephone interview with the with the leaders of that organization, and they, you know, part of what they do is drag you in front of the group of people that they that they gather together which could you know um, you know be several hundred people at least up you know they claim a thousand but certainly several hundred and and what they try to do is extract commitments from you and what they try to get me to commit and they let me know what the questions would be in advance would be that I would uh, agree not to file motions for discretionary bindovers uh, that was one of the main issues and the second main issue was that um I out of my budget would give them uh, to one of their groups uh, to be specific um this that was clarified later but they wanted a half million dollars out of the budget of the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's office and based upon those two issues really um I wrote a letter back and said that those things are things that I could never agree to first and foremost you know I took an oath when I became the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor to follow the laws uh, and the Constitution of the state of Ohio. And, you know, victims have rights. You know, we passed a constitutional amendment a number of years ago called Marcy's Law that requires my staff and I to uh, sit down with the families of victims or the victims themselves and at every critical step in the process to to get their viewpoints. And I certainly, I ultimately, my staff ultimately makes the decision, but we have to, by law, 
listen and, and, and hear what those victims and their families have to say. So um, pledging to do something like not filing a discretionary bind over would be ignoring my my requirements under the law. So I wouldn't do that. And then the second issue, it would be unlawful for me to take a half million dollars out of my budget. The county has a budgeting process that requires you to go through the county council and they would have to uh, approve by a vote of the council to transfer. The exec would have to sign off on that budget. So it would be unlawful for me to take a half million dollars out of my budget. So I pointed that out as well, that that is inappropriate and it has a very bad look. And I would not agree to either those conditions, so I would not be attending their forum. Uh, you know, part well, they're, of- not, they're not stupid, right, Mr. Prosecutor? They knew those two things and they knew what you were going to say. Did that, Was that just a setup? Was that so that they could claim he wouldn't come and talk to us, knowing you would never agree to those two conditions? Well, I certainly told them in advance, even of that meeting, that I would never agree to come to an event that would require me to violate my oath of office. So they knew that coming in. They probably expected that as a result of their demands that I would not be there because, you know, part of being an elected official is having a backbone. And, you know, you can't be intimidated by anyone. You have to do, you have to follow the law and you have to do what's right. And um, you have to have a backbone, you know, plain and simple. And so, you know, you, it, my opponent went there and, and you know, the wind blew and his back bent. And I just will not... I will always do what's right. And if that means standing up to a group that tries to fill a church with several hundred people, it it means probably alienating those people. But knowing at night I can sleep well because I did what was right. And I will continue to do what's right. And I will not be intimidated and I won't be bullied. And what is right and what is lawful as well. It's not about sleeping well. It's also making sure I don't break the law, like I said, by promising something like that. Um, I do want to ask one question about the bindovers, only because I want you to respond directly to uh, Matthew on. He says, children are moved over into adult court and sent to adult prison are 34% more likely to commit another crime upon their release as compared to children who are kept in juvenile court on the exact same charges. He attributed that statistic to a 2013 report uh, compiled by the DOJ. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's his argument, which is why you should pledge and why he pledges to not bind over any juveniles as adults. How do you respond to that? Well, you know how I respond to that is the types of crimes we're talking aren't the types of crimes. um, When you kill somebody or you attempt to kill someone, that is a crime that demands justice and it demands public safety. So... uh, Ironically, those studies really aren't directed and geared towards uh, counties with this level of violence because, quite frankly, um, the crimes that are bound over are all virtually every one of them is either an unclassified felony or a felony of the one, which are the highest categories. And so this study is really inapplicable to Cuyahoga County because the level of violence is we don't. People who commit like simple crimes like, sadly, car thefts or breaking and enterings, those people are not getting bound over. Quite frankly, in many cases, people who've committed multiple car thefts don't even get incarceration. We had one individual last year who committed 18 car thefts and got probation. So um, the bottom line is that – That's crazy. It's true. <laughs> that's, that's the judges. It, yeah. but th- that's I a know. whole different program. I know. I know. But that is, the, that is a true statement. So I would say those studies are inapplicable. And one other final thing is that while he claims that being incarcerated 
leads to recidivism. The reality is in Cuyahoga County is recidivism is what's leading to incarceration. These kids are given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in many cases, and they have failed to take advantage of those opportunities, which is why the line is finally crossed, because they continue to escalate their behavior, which then leads to an the ultimate uh, final act where they are being brought over and tried as adults because they are harming people greatly. Steve, your union, uh, the CPPA, of which you are past president, uh, has officially endorsed Mr. O'Malley here, as has Mayor Bibb. I'm going to give you the final thought here uh, as we head into this. Um, absolutely. It, it's, it's in everybody's. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I live in Cleveland. I live in Cuyahoga County. Um, I have the perspective of a 30-year veteran in police department. And I can tell you with no hesitation at all that Mike O'Malley has done a fantastic job in that prosecutor's office, I've seen things. Um, uh, um, we have more resources to do our jobs when we're short-staffed, and we all know that we're short-staffed. Um, it's just a, a, it's been a great opportunity for us to really do some good things as far as law and order. Um, the homicide rates are, are what they are, and we have to. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.